Mother, you're home. Obviously. It's agreeable to see you. You appear well. I'm Charles Tucker. Pleased to meet you, ma'am. You both must be very tired after your journey. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and join me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, married to Starfleet, just like you, Cameron. (laughs) And we're here this week to make a plea about Enterprise's home. Please don't overlook this hidden gem. Kim, this is such a good episode, but it's also such a unique episode of Star Trek. We, we like I, I I went looking through like the entire Star Trek encyclopedia of episodes and there's only maybe like 3 mm. I can compare these to. And I think, you know, off mic you were describing it maybe it's kind of a breather episode. Like I I know what you're saying, but it, it's like it, it it's almost allowing characters to decompress after high stress situations and i i i think this is such a character study and it allows people to realize what makes these characters great in our enterprise what makes them tick and what makes them nuanced and like hey everything's not gonna be just okay after maybe you kind of complete your mission successfully and i i i just adore this episode cam i rewatched it and Ugh. We'll, we'll we'll dive into the nitty gritty, but I can just say like, for whatever reason, that final scene in which we see Koss and T'Pol getting married while Trip looks on, yeah. it hit me in the gut. It really <laughs> did, and I just You're like bawling. But <laughs> I, I was, I was. Um, but it's so amazing because this is essentially Manny Cotto, the new showrunner for season four. Of Enterprise, he had been a writer, of course, in season three, but it was him taking the reins of Enterprise and almost doing a kind of a reset of this series. And I didn't know at the time when I first watched it, but in retrospect, I'm just like, oh, he had such a grasp on what could make Enterprise great. And I just I want to emphasize to listeners, like this is an episode that should not be overlooked. By any means, it's not action-packed, except for that racist bar scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. But oh, you're forgetting I, the dream. There is the dream fight. Hey, Cam, you know, like, uh, nothing compares to uh, Picard and Robert rolling around in the vineyard in uh, <laughs> TNG's family. But uh, maybe this came close, you know, with the uh, the reptilian Zindis on uh, the uh, rock face of Yosemite Park. Um, Cam. Those are my initial thoughts. Uh, what, what's your broader takeaway from Enterprise's home? So what I really appreciate about this episode is, is that it is unbelievably confident. Because, you know, you think about it, Enterprise going into season four wasn't necessarily on the best footing in terms of audience scores and what have you. Like, it was a show that was kind of on the bubble. And yet it still was like, you know what, we've delivered the Zindi War in season three. We've blown the doors off at the start of season four with our Space Nazi two-parter, Stormfront. Um, And now let's just have an episode where the characters, we just get to spend some time with like kind of their inner lives and explore the relationship between T'Pol and Trip and what Archer's going through and what uh, Phlox is dealing with back at home. It's a type of episode that like, it's hard to imagine many of these happening now. Um, I think Nepente is probably the last episode to kind of do this. But when I look at Nepente... And that's even... from uh, Star Trek Picard Season 1. Yeah. Like, it's going back, what, 2019? Yes, 2019, yeah. And or, what I'm sorry, you tend or is to... it 2020? 
Uh, oh, hold on. It was the pandemic. So, yes, it was 2020. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yes, like, generally when these episodes happen now, I feel like even if you spend that hour just with characters catching up, there's, like, the bubbling of the larger mystery or story just underneath ready to pull you along. Like in that episode, they're still talking about what could be going on with Soji, where the characters are going. When I look at an episode like this or family, it's not about like, so what's going to happen next? You know, there's no like rumblings of the Andorian arc in this, uh, you know, episode. There's nothing about the um, augments arc that's going to happen. I think in like maybe the next episode or two, it's all about just like, taking a break and just spending time with the characters that the audience, the minimal numbers that were watching Enterprise, although I imagine at the time it was probably a number that people would love nowadays, but oh, nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's still about just like spending a time with the characters you're investing in and not worrying about, we need to hook them to show up next week. And for those that don't recall, I don't know why you're listening to this particular subspace episode, if that's the case, but essentially we wrap up the Zindi War, and then we wrap up the Temporal Cold War, and then it's the Enterprise crew back on present-day Earth, you know, like the 2150-something, you know, and they've become heroes. Archer is getting high schools named after him. But mm. it's not like everything is all right. These people have been traumatized. They're returning home. Even somebody like Flocks, who's... <laughs> saved countless lives he's experiencing xenophobia and i would never like <laughs> you know me cam i'm not a proponent of xenophobia but <laughs> th th there's this argument being made and I, I i understand why people are like wow we keep inviting all these aliens to earth and now we're getting attacked by aliens at this time and, and so they're <laughs> misdirecting <laughs> their animus yeah. towards you know the wrong folks here and, and I, I don't know it's just like it, it's you can't go home again archer's still dealing with ptsd um hoshi's dealing with a bad bug infection or something like <laughs> something or other i yeah. wrote uh my my one note about you or about uh, hoshi was that they forgot her in this episode mostly <laughs> they did but you know what you you have trip into paul they're not forgetting about their interpersonal relationship. And just like, I just think there's something amazing about T'Pol saying like, yeah, I'm going to go check out Vulcan. You've never been. You want to come meet my mom? <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know. I just, there's something to me, like just from a character point where it feels organic, you know, and, and it's also uncomfortable. Like meeting T'Pol's mom was amazing. And knowing that T'Pol's mom, like she's faced consequences for her kind of rebel daughter's actions and like we as like human viewers like do we ever fault to paul for like getting a starfleet commission and supporting them through the zindi war like no but we can understand that there are unintended consequences for what happens which ultimately cultivates in like to paul being compelled to move forward with this um engagement slash now marriage to cost and it just it feels earned. And I think that's a lot of the problems that we have with um, some of the new live action series like Discovery or Picard, where just all these moments don't quite feel earned, where there's nothing I saw in Enterprise Home where it felt unearned. Like, that's just mm. my takeaway. But, like, I don't know. Did it feel like relatively or exponentially like organic in terms of character development to you? It did. And I think one of the things with Nepente and why it worked was it relied real heavily on the audience's nostalgia for Troy and Riker and their investment in those two characters. Whereas like, I think what is really impressive about Home is that a good chunk of this episode is really built around Joanna Cassidy appearing as to Paul's mom and then also the character of Erica Hernandez. And it's about spending time with characters we don't really know very well and actually really gaining a lot of interest and appreciation for. I think Joanna Cassidy is very, very good in this episode. Yes. Yeah. I think her scenes with Trip, I love the moment where she goes up and is basically like, how long have you been attracted to my daughter? <laughs> Which is like the ultimate awkward <laughs> meeting the parents kind of moment. 
But I like how her character, it's never played as like a full-on joke. And even though she has very strict words towards T'Pol about this relationship with Trip and like the shame that could come from their children if they can even have children, she is still like going to Trip being like, you should really tell T'Pol how you feel so she can have all the facts. Like we have seen so many stories in the world of film and TV where it's like the parent who's giving, you know, like bad advice or bad information to the romantic interest that screws everything up. And I like that they didn't do that, that they made the um, Joanna Cassidy character a very strong personality, like obviously someone who very much like, you know, runs her house, but someone who's very empathetic to like Trip as well as her daughter and is willing to not necessarily like give up her own kind of interest, but is at least willing to hear like her loved ones out. It, it, it's amazing how like, I don't think we'd met the mother before, like in how we're invested so much in mm -hmm. this character so easily and it's all coming off of like kind of the organic character development of T'Pol who like Cam I'll admit when Enterprise started out T'Pol was not exactly my favorite character by the time the series wrapped up and honestly just going into season three like she eventually became like I'll say it okay if I had to rank my favorite Enterprise characters I'd go Ooh. Trip T'Pol Archer Phlox uh, then I <laughs> guess Reed, no, no, I'm sorry, then Hoshi, then Reed, then Mayweather. Is that, are you kind of on the same page, give or take, maybe a, a few substitutions? I might put T'Pol at number one for me. Okay. I think I might. Uh, it's tough too, like when you've got a character like Sharan who's so dynamic because suddenly he becomes like your number four or something, even though he's a recurring. But would, um... Would May or sorry, not Mayweather? Would Trip be uh, your second after T'Pol if you had to uh, debate between those two? I think so. Yes, his journey is okay. This is where it's tough because I think like the Trip journey is so impactful and probably the best arc out of any of the characters. But there's something about like the big Archer moments, like when he gives speeches or outruns explosions. <laughs> in zero hour yeah. where i'm like archer's the best but i do think like trip is probably the character that sticks with me more so for that reason i would put him yeah at number two i like archer i just i don't think he's as deep or they explored him as deeply as they did to paul and tucker and that's kind of why i give the nod to tucker over archer and but okay let me go backwards a little bit like cam what was your reaction to to paul like early on in the run of the series though well, okay, so, like, I didn't watch Enterprise when it started, but I remember the marketing built around it, and I've talked about this in the yeah. past, there was a lot of the decon gel stuff in the marketing, and they were really building up the, like, That's this... all you remember. <laughs> it kind <laughs> of is, actually, but, yeah, like, yeah. they were really marketing, too, like, this is sexy Trek. This is not the dry, kind of, um, you know, kind of, like, sexless future of TNG. <laughs> Cam, how can it be dry if you have that much gel just, like, <laughs> slapping around? Well, they were saying it's no longer dry because how could it be? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I just remember seeing ads, and they were really playing up Jolene Blaylock in, like, the tight Vulcan suit. And I remember just, like, rolling yeah. my eyes, and it was I like, know. this is not a yeah. show I would be watching. And so... Like, you felt offended kind of, like, as a viewer, right? And I think a lot of folks had the same reaction with Seven of Nine when, when Jerry sure. Ryan... It's like, hey, let's put her on a cat suit, and that's going to draw people in. Like, that's what's going to make people invested in like this series. And it, it's kind of offensive because those characters, T'Pol and Seven Mind, Kim, they stand on their own without them being in cat suits. And we saw that just like like Seven Mind is wearing like a leather jacket for the first two seasons of like Picard, and like everybody was like drawn into that character, even though. I don't think the writers gave her nearly as much good material as they did through uh, four seasons of uh, Star Trek Voyager. No, no. And I mean, I was very dismissive of the marketing of Enterprise. And even though they were also advertising, like, this is a fresh start. If you, you know, got lost along the way with shows like DS9 and Voyager, this is where you want to jump back on board. And then I was looking at the marketing being like, they're basically marketing like Baywatch in space to me. Like, why would I want to watch this? And so when I started watching the show, I went in with kind of that expectation, even though it was like a decade or so 
after you know that marketing all landed for me it was still like going like okay like here we go what is this character going to be like and it really took me by surprise i've said this before about jerry ryan but i feel the same way with jolene blaylock where it's like the chips were really stacked against them yeah. like yeah they were being marketed in a very specific way that was very, um, you know, 90s, early 2000s of put your female character in like a skin tight outfit. But like, she's a badass. This is like a character who's like, you know, a strong character. But we also want her to look basically like she would be on the cover of a Maxim magazine or something like that. And yet, now, like, in all fairness, <laughs> Jolene Blaylock. <laughs> She did a lot of Maxim magazine shoots, as did um, Linda Park. It was of its time. I think a lot of people did back then, and there was a lot of contractual obligations, I think, going on with those types of magazines as well when it came to marketing their shows and movies. I, I don't want to pick on anybody too much. Uh, I'll just say it, but I just remember uh, Dominic Keating, a.k.a. Malcolm Reed. He he was making quips about Linda Park saying he's like calling her miss maxim or something like that oh, this boy. is like i don't know 2003 or four i was just like it's not something you would say nowadays and i was just like even back then i thought it was kind of cringe that he was kind of like demeaning his colleague like that yeah yeah uh i hope he's learned from things like that um <laughs> do you think he has based on our experiences at the star trek conventions camp I was just going to kind of leave it as a dot, dot, dot. Moving okay, on. Okay, let's um, leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, I was just genuinely wowed by her performance. And it's the sort of thing where it's like when the chips are stacked against you, I mean, it's a combination. I think she really delivers in her performance of the character. But clearly, while there are some questionable decisions made with the character, there was enough good material that really informed who T'Pol was and made audiences really, I think, fall in love with that character at the time to a certain degree, but way more so in years since. And I think T'Pol is now held up yeah. as a very popular Star Trek icon character. And I think if you were to start quizzing people, you know, which characters from Enterprise they want to see pop up in these new Kurtzman shows, I think T'Pol's probably at the top. So was there a season he maybe came around or was there an episode? For me, I'll just lay it out there. Like it probably was not until the Zindi arc that I really came to think like, oh, this is like a top Star Trek character. This is a very nuanced character. They're giving a lot of great stuff. Although, can the Nero pressure scenes like always made me cringe in season three? Yeah. Um, For me, like it's interesting because like, okay, I think we've like laid it out before, but like what happened is like, I, I kind of gave up on um, Enterprise in towards the end of season two. And I would just pop in for, you know, an episode here or there, you know, if, you know, Brent Spiner's going to be on Enterprise. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll watch those couple episodes or whatever. Um, and so I just wasn't quite following the character. And so you and uh, Fallen co-host Benjamin Yong convinced me, gosh, what is it now, like 10 years ago? Yeah. God, you got to go back and just rewatch the show. I started towards the end of season two, about the time that I kind of gave up, and then I watched from there. And it was at the season three point that I really got into Paul, but I don't know if it was just kind of my own perceptions, you know, like 20 years ago that, like, maybe she was doing, like, some really great stuff in season two that I was just not appreciating. I can go back and watch, like, Carbon Creek. That's the one I was which thinking was of. what? Yeah, like, that. that's where they're actually showing, like, oh, this is, like, pretty damn good character or at least like jolene blaylock is delivering a really great performance as her grandmother or something like that so i just don't know if i i was not appreciating at the time that like maybe to paul she actually started off as a pretty good character i although i mean we did the broken bow um or broken bow uh oh wait is it broken bow or broken bow i always get mixed up i think it's broken bow it's bow Oh, yeah. Yeah, although I'm sure if you go back to the history of this podcast, I've said Broken Bow also many times. <laughs> we did the rewatch, and I, I still contend she did not get off on the best footing there. And, and you watch an episode like Shadows of Pajem, and it's just kind of like a little cringe at times. But I, I think maybe they got a better grasp of her. And I can say this in retrospect. I really do. Okay, so Cam, you know, like I am midway through my DS9 rewatch. After that, it's going to be a full-out Enterprise rewatch. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have my antennae up about like where I, I feel about T'Pol as mm. kind of like a potential favorite character. But I, I wonder if there's much more potential 
for me to come around in season two versus season one. But for me, in real time, it was really, I, I came around on her in season three. I do remember there was an episode that's not held up particularly well, which is the episode Fusion in season one, which is where they meet the like Pilgrim Vulcans and there's the assault on T'Pol. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the way you would write that episode if you were to write it now, but I remember being very impressed with her performance in that episode because I remember going in just like expecting much more of a superficial character. And I felt like Julian Blaylock was so invested in that character's journey in that very depressing episode mm-hmm. that when, when it was over, it was like I, I saw more depth in that character that would be paid off in far more rewarding ways going forward. So, okay. So it kind of began the conversation uh, you know, about how the characters evolved. But like, I want to go back a little bit further. You brought a, a Picard episode like Nepenthe. Mm. which is kind of maybe a chill out episode, but it's kind of like we're allowing our characters to decompress, grapple what's been going on in their lives and absorb the fact that there has been some pretty traumatic stuff going on, especially if you want to compare, you know, Soji and Nepenthe having this existential crisis and we're experiencing these kind of existential crisis with say Archer as well. And, like he he's still dealing with PTSD, and it's not the same kind of PTSD that, say, uh, Demers in uh, season three of uh, Discovery was dealing with, in which all she had to do was fly <laughs> a spaceship really fast, and she would recover. It, 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 I walk away from an episode like this, and I realize like he's still dealing with these horrific nightmares of you know you know, reptilian Zindis, and it's not like he's recovered from it. It's just something that he knows he's going to have to live with and grapple with. But are, are there other episodes? I, I mean, I've got maybe just two other two other episodes in mind from all of Star Trek canon, but like, are there comparable episodes other than uh, Nepenthe, like uh, from your perspective? Uh, no, I really just think of like family, you know, post best of both worlds from TNG. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. I guess you could maybe make an argument for the episode um, No Win Scenario from the more recent episode uh, or season, I should say, of Picard in season three, where they basically are floating dead. And we just spend time with the characters, you know, uh, Riker contacting Deanna, Picard starting an open communication with his son, moments like that. It's still, like I said with Nepente, more informed by kind of the larger story around it than what this episode's doing. But I do think like that one stands out as another possible option. I, I, I never even considered that one, but I think you bring up a good point in that it's very contemplative. You know, the characters, they all think they're going to die and they sit around a holographic bar just talking to each other this is what i love most about star trek is people talking to each other you know (laughs) and we love that episode (laughs) it is i think it's the height of uh star trek picard period Uh, i i think the only other contender might be nepenthe and um the one other episode i'll throw out there though as kind of a let's take a breather let's decompress after incredibly stressful stuff going on is um you are cordially invited from deep space nine in which we finish up the um the Tarek nor kind mm. of invasion arc at the start of season six of deep space nine and Worf and jadzia are getting married and we're getting like a stay parties uh we're getting cirilla giving jadzia a real hard time it just kind of feels like okay let's take a breather and let's sit with these characters and like Cam, I could watch You Were Cordially Invited, like, in a loop. Like, it's a really solid episode and watch. You really do feel like the characters are going all in. I would also point out, Avery Brooks, he is chewing the scenery in that episode. He is having fun going on, like, um, oh, yeah, like, like, uh, bachelor parties, <laughs> like, horrific, like, um, menacing, like, <laughs> all out, like, sweat ear face off sort of like Klingon torture bachelor parties and <laughs> I don't know like Miles and Julian are it's complete torture for them but I can I can watch that stuff and like I, I'm having fun with these characters sitting with these characters and it, it it's marriage but it, it, it's at a smaller scale in, in terms of like their own journeys there 
I thought of another one, actually, while you were mentioning Cordially Invited, which is a really fun episode, but one that's actually not very good, which is noteworthy because all the ones we've mentioned are like some of our favorites. Yeah. But I was thinking of uh, Two Days and Two Nights from uh, Season 1 Enterprise where they go to Ryza, and it's really just the characters hanging out in Ryza for like an hour. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like. I know what you're saying. It, it's... One of these days, you and I—I mean, spoiler alert! Like you and I, we've been talking about like best hangout episodes, like best chill out episodes. You know? Yeah. I think that's on our list. Um, I get what you're saying. Um, it's <laughs> it's a problematic episode, uh, aka kind of transphobic <laughs> at this point, <laughs> as yeah. well. That maybe what we thought was funny 20 years ago, as like oof, nowadays, um. Let me ask you this, though. Does Voyager have anything like this? You know, like, you have Year of Hell, and even though there's a big giant reset button, it's not like the next episode that follows up is kind of an analog for home or anything like that, right? Yeah, I feel like with Voyager, a lot of it is more like holodeck-type episodes, like the Irish Village <laughs> two-parter, um, or like time spent on the beach party program. Um, I'm trying to think of like episodes though, where it's just like the characters not doing anything kind of that's higher concept sci-fi, just spending time just talking. Um, there's not a lot of those. So Cam, <laughs> I'll give you, uh, I'm on IMDB right now. Okay. Um, Voyager started season four with a pretty good run. Uh, Scorpion Part Two, The Gift, Day of Honor. Uh, maybe not Nemesis, but then we had uh, Revulsion, The Raven, which delved into Seven's background mm -hmm. with her parents. Scientific Method, which I think is a super underrated Voyager episode, in which we have like <laughs> aliens just kind of spying on the Voyager crew and infecting them with things. That's a good one. Then we've got Year of Hell Parts One and Two. Yeah. And the next one is Random Thoughts, and I will read the description for you. But it says, a telepathic race <laughs> arrests Balana for thinking violent thoughts that have begun to infect their peacefully enlightened, virtually crime-free society. This, is, this comes right after Year of Hell. I'm just like, uh, it just seems kind of like, meh. And the next one after that, and then I'll stop, is uh, Concerning Flight. With oh. Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Like, th these are not like... Like, I'm, I'm thinking, like... Is it just me, but is Year of Hell... Oh, come on. It can't just be me. Like, Year of Hell must be the height of stress for the entire Voyager crew, even though there is kind of that giant reset button and everything kind of goes back to normal at the end. But I, I just... I can't imagine a more stressful period for the crew other than the Year of Hell. No, that's number one. And then you would be looking at, like, say, like Scorpion or Equinox yeah. as, like, yeah. the follow-ups. I mean, Basics was no walk in the park either, uh, you know, when you're losing crew members to, like, giant snake monsters. Um, but, uh, yeah, like... <laughs> and you're lighting fires with Janeway's hair. <laughs> it's funny, though. When you're reading out random thoughts, I was just like, I know I've watched that episode, and I have absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. <laughs> It's one of the Voyager episodes I've only watched once. I was like, mm. yeah. Whereas concerning flight with Da Vinci, I, I've watched that five times. Oh, well, I mean, I saw it once, but I'll never forget it. Like there are like so <laughs> many like Star Trek episodes along the way that you could read out a synopsis and I would just be like, boy, like, huh, I, I know I've seen it, but it's gone. Boy, is it gone. Kim, I'm going off on a total tangent, but I don't care. I'm, I'm looking through season four of Voyager. It's a pretty damn good season. Okay, mm -hmm. so... After Concerning Flight, you end the year right before Christmas with Mortal Coil in which Neelix dies and he realizes there's no heaven. That's not... <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, you come back in the new year with waking moments in which it's all about kind of these weird dreams that uh, uh, you know aliens are implanting. But guess that what? That one's gone. Uh, that one's gone it, from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got message in a bottle which we've yeah. done a podcast on then you've got the start really of the herogen you've got uh hunters prey um and then a maybe more problematic episode retrospect uh, in which mm. um can this episode like 
it should be deleted off Netflix at this point where it's like Seven accuses somebody of like assault and it turns out she wasn't correct. Yeah. And this is like, oh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> but then you got stuff like The Killing Game, parts one and two. And, and I, I'm just going through the list. Oh, and a couple episodes later, you got Living Witness, then Demon, which you have kind of kind of the um, duplicate crew created through kind of those silver aliens. Season four. Demon's is- not very good, though. Demon is not very good. It's the follow up Course Oblivion that's great. Uh, there's oh okay i'll follow up with that the next episode the penultimate episode is one in which you've got Mm. like that uh you're going through kind of like this i don't know like toxic nebula Uh, one is a pretty good episode and Mm -hmm. you end up like uh getting to hear or hope and fear for the finale like season four of voyager pretty stacked it kind of it's pretty stacked And, and i'd say this camp uh, you know, I've told you this before. Enterprise season four, which we're talking about intermittently <laughs> in the course of this podcast, it, it to me it's a top five season of Star Trek period. Even though Enterprise might not be my favorite Star Trek series, season four of Enterprise is one of my top five favorite seasons, like all out. And I think one of our inspirations for tackling an episode like home is you and i were realizing like we've tackled almost every episode in one way or another whether it's like our kind of uh two-part reviews our you know multi-episode reviews like that sort of stuff i after this like what what is left for us to like delve into with regards to enterprise season four like uh what was the episode with the transporter um dataless creator dataless <laughs> yeah you know like that that's about it like like you and i like we really like season four of enterprise and, and there's a reason why we've covered virtually every episode at this point yeah we haven't done any sort of like deep dive on the augments arc but we did talk about uh brent spiner's work in that three-parter when we did the many faces of brent spiner but yeah i mean other than that we've pretty much covered all of it ad nauseum almost like there's so much great storytelling going on in that season of star trek it's frankly what i wish we got more of um with where star trek is now like i think these kind of three or four episode arcs are way more satisfying than these like 10 episode arcs um yeah and i like that you can tell look i don't like uh stormfront the two-parter that kicks off season four but like i would take more Stormfronts if it meant having an episode like Home to kind of like give us that breather before we launch into the Augments arc. I think that would be just fantastic. Okay, so we've kind of done like a a pretty broad overview of the context of this episode, you know, and, and where it stacks up and, you know, kind of Star Trek lore. Why, why don't we dive into the episode itself, you know? And, and like, it just reemphasizes to me like... um despite how maybe enterprise started like by the time we get to season four i I enjoy just like hanging with these characters you know even though you know (laughs) they they never take a moment not to get like archer like beaten up even if it's a dream (laughs) at this point (laughs) he can't escape even when he sleeps (laughs) yeah but it's just even like little things like how there's been a baby boom going on on earth because they thought the Zindi could kill everybody. I was like, okay, that that's interesting. But like, Cam, the thing that like jumps out to me though, is like, we, we see that opening scene in like San Francisco. This episode was made 20 years ago. Yeah. Has the CG quality really made leaps and bounds like in the last 20 years compared with like what we're getting like Discovery or, or, or Star Trek Picard? I mean, I would say the CG in the opening of this with that big, like, stadium with all the people, it's degraded a little bit as it's been, you know, put on Blu-ray and then I'm watching it on, like, a 4K TV. It's like, okay, those digital people look a little funky now. Uh, but that said, no, <laughs> we see so many movies that look just as phony as this. Yeah, and I'm just, like, what shocks me, though, is, like, at the same time, like, starting in 2004, Battlestar Galactica, the Ron Moore version of it, it launched the miniseries and I'm sitting there watching like these photo realistic CG ships, like just incredible production values. 
And then they launch into the like ongoing series for four seasons beginning in 2006. And I, I like Cam, I, I did a rewatch of Battlestar Galactica during the pandemic. I'm like, what, what, why are the VFX like so much better? Like 17 years ago than they are in like what you're in what we're witnessing right now in like Star Trek. It's, it kind of irks me. Although there's a lot of stories going around about how all the VFX studios across the globe are, are just being stretched thin. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because of the demands from Marvel, but like, I don't know. Like, like I, I, one of these days can't you are going to be forced to watch like at least the mini series of Battlestar Galactica and, I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to make you answer so many questions about that. But you're going to be a little bit like perturbed by how good the visual effects look yeah. in 2006 versus what like we're getting in 2023. Well, I mean, it's I'm used to it. And, you know, even going back to like models, you know, when I look at some of the battle scenes in season seven DS9 and then I compare it to like space yeah. battles yeah. in uh discovery it's like well uh one of these things is way more exciting than the other or even like picard season three like the whole return of the jedi finale i'm like well eh, it's very like it's functional but it doesn't excite me to watch these visuals i mean i rewatched return of that jedi uh maybe two years ago yeah i had not seen it in a while mm-hmm. i was absolutely blown away by the quality i think that is such an underrated film and when you just think about the visual effects going on, and especially with kind of the uh, compare it to the um, Star Trek Picard ripoff scene, yeah, I'm just like I'm I'm <laughs> like what forty years later, yeah, I'm just totally blown away by what they were able to accomplish with a lower budget, like back in the day. Yeah, it's just time care uh, there's so many factors that go into it um i'll tell you one other thing that really impressed me about the episode home i mean there's multiple but this one just i so loved which is that a big chunk of this episode is about archer having to answer for the events of impulse the episode with the zombie <laughs> vulcans like yeah, can yeah, yeah. you imagine that in like another star trek show where you just pick a random one-off episode and have a character have to deal with that particular... Like, you mentioned random thoughts. Imagine if, like, you know, a handful of episodes later, is having to answer for the events of random thoughts. You'd be like, huh, that's an interesting choice. And I thought this was a very interesting choice as well. And I love that, you know, you had Archer butting heads with Saval over the events of Impulse, and then having them kind of, like, have a moment of understanding with each other at the end. It was really well-earned for an episode that I'm sure... People who were watching Impulse at the time, in the moment, or even when you're watching it years later, you would not expect that episode to pay off in a bonding moment between two characters. But doesn't it seem like Enterprise has created just such a richer universe in that it all builds up, it feels organic, versus like, I don't know, if you go to Discovery, it's not as if they're building to something analogous with kind of the Saval archer confrontation and when you get to you know what like 15 episodes later and saval is revealing like oh yeah seriously i would not have been hanging out on earth unless i really actually enjoyed my time there and it just it it all feels organic where i think it's just the propulsive nature of these plot driven shows it just it doesn't lend itself to taking in these more organic character moments. And it just feels as if like this universe that we've created in the 2150s is, is just so, so much more lived in than what we're getting in Discovery or Picard. Or even look at a character like Erica Hernandez, who Ada Maris is so good as this character. And I wonder why we haven't seen her at a Star Trek con. Like, I, I was actually, I was thinking about that. Like, if, Kim, if she shows up, I'm getting a photo with her. Yeah, she's great. And... I love that this character can exist on this show, show up in what, like, you know, a handful of episodes, maybe four along the way, um, but like serves her function on the show so well, becomes a part of the fabric of the universe of Enterprise. But if this character existed in one of the newer Star Trek seasons, it would be like, well, what are they going to do? 
they're clearly going to do something and it's got to be something big. Yeah. That's why they keep being yeah. brought up episode after episode. <laughs> Erica Hernandez <laughs> plays a significant role within the context of season four Enterprise, but it's not like she shows up at the end as like a big bad or is the key to unlocking a mystery of the season. It's just like, I, no, uh, she's a part of the fabric uh, of kind of the evolution of Starfleet, where she is going to be leading the second ship to join Archer out exploring the cosmos. That's enough of a story. It's about building the universe. I, 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 it'd be like introducing like Admiral Necheyev mm. and what, like season five of Next Gen. And then you have to wait three seasons and like, and she's been behind the changeling invasion <laughs> of Starfleet this entire, I'm just like, okay, like whatever. But it, it's like, I just, what I think we're ultimately getting at is like, this is a different era of television. And I just like, oh God, I, I'm not that old, Cam. <laughs> but I, I feel old when I complain about like how TV seasons were structured only like 15 years ago. Right. You know, and like they, they would have kind of like, um, a story would be episodic, and then B story would maybe be more of kind of the ongoing serialized stuff. And it just, it feels like it's been flipped since then, and for whatever reason, they don't quite grasp that that's not ideal. Although, Cam, the the best reaction we've heard from Star Trek since 2017, when the Kurtzman era launched, was Strange New Worlds, in which they kind of figured out that formula there. And I, I just, like, to me, it just seems so obvious. A good comparison for like Erica Hernandez is Sam Kirk on Strange New Worlds. Like the character shows up, he has a prominent role in some episodes. Yeah. But it's not about like stringing him along for a specific plot reason. Like the character is fun. He's cool to hang out with. I'm sure we're going to have him, you know, sharing the screen with Paul Wesley as Kirk. Uh, in the sure. upcoming season. Uh, well, we'll wait and see on that <laughs> <Can't>, one. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> but it's Sam Kirk right now is just a character who's fun to have on the show. That's enough. Audiences are invested and they want to see him. <laughs> Although we kind of know how he's going to end up, which is kind of sad. But it, yeah. it's still 10 years away. Uh, you and I, I think we mar remarked uh, a couple months ago. Like, I think we like the Sam Kirk actor <laughs> as kind of a uh, somebody who could have played like James T. Kirk. Yeah. More so than Paul Wesley at this point. Yeah. And, and based on the, the latest trailer for um, Strange New World Season 2 as well. I got to rewatch that trailer a few times uh, when I was at the Calgary yeah. Fan Expo. Oh, okay, um, okay. I, I was not like bombarded with it the way I was the Scream 6 trailers at <laughs> Vancouver Fan Expo. But or I saw 65 <laughs> starring Adam Driver. <laughs> that too. Um, I probably saw the Strange New Worlds one maybe like three or four times. Um, but... Boy, that Paul Wesley Kirk. Oh, it's gonna take some real getting used to. It seems like like a a charisma vacuum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's like thinking about like we we hit gold with Chris Pine, you know, um, even like somebody like uh, Chris Pratt was up for James Kirk mm. at that time as well. I don't think he would have quite been right but i think he definitely would have been better than paul wesley at this point i think when um chris pratt plays it pretty straight he loses a lot of the charisma you see that with him in like the jurassic world or the tomorrow war type stuff <laughs> uh he's way more fun when he's kind of quipping and having fun like in the guardians movies you ended up watching tomorrow war i did see it yeah okay i i warned you how bad it was what was i exaggerating i don't remember it's like mortal thoughts uh, or not mortal thoughts. Okay. Sorry, it's like random thoughts. It's uh, <laughs> somewhat okay. gone, but yeah, it wasn't very good. It was very generic stuff. You you mixed up mortal coil. Yes, with random thoughts. Okay. Yes, I, I did. Got you. Um, Cam, um, the scene at the bar in which Mayweather shows up in an Enterprise and NX01 jacket, and he's just signing autographs nonchalantly. That sounds like a can move right there at a Star Trek convention, right? Uh, well, it sounds like a someone move that I can think of at a Star Trek convention. <laughs> Maybe fact and fiction are only so separated by a can <laughs> <laughs> by a but very like, thin line. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, like, the thing I appreciate though is just like like 
again, I'm not a fan of xenophobia, but it's like I <laughs> I like that you have to emphasize that. <laughs> I, I, I can't emphasize it enough, but it's like I understand. It's like these humans have been attacked by aliens, and it's not like um like three people died. Like the entire like like uh what, like Florida Peninsula, like eight mm -hmm. million people like from Panama onto Florida, like were like killed. Like I understand like folks were like you know, like 50 years ago, we never had aliens on this planet. Now we're bringing in extraterrestrial life and we're being killed. And hey, there's another alien hanging out here. It, it, and not that denobulants are going to attack, but they're like, what does it mean? Does it mean we're attracting like more potential for us to be attacked in the future? Like, I, I, I get that. I'm not a fan of that, but like... It's just weird how, like, this is a 20-year-old episode, but it, it's racism is always a universal theme, it seems, when it comes to Star Trek. And it, it's not something that seems to get old, um, although I wish it did, yeah. um, just from a personal perspe uh, perspective. Well, you know, this, you know, was following up Season 3, which was very much a response to 9-11 and a lot of the attitudes that were existing within 9-11. So it makes a lot of sense to have the writers having material like this in the episode home with the xenophobia but like boy uh in terms of your storytelling we were talking about like stories that maybe haven't aged well but this one it's like this episode could have come out last week you know you look at know. responses to covid or various other things the way fingers are constantly pointed at underrepresented groups or minorities it's it's day-to-day -day. and to see this you know 2005 episode underlining this You'd like to watch an episode of Star Trek that has this kind of material that com that comments on humanity and say, yeah, it was weird back then, but <laughs> you really can't do that watching this episode. I know, I know. Um, I know, it's just some little, like, kind of uh, random points um, I'm thinking about. Uh, okay, they're exploring, like, the Vulcan lava lakes and, and waterfalls and, uh, like, to Paul and Trip. And he's like, we should have brought a camera. Cam, <laughs> nobody carries a camera even nowadays. Like, are there <laughs> such things as, like, Starfleet iPhones or, like, what would be the equivalent? Because we saw the giant monstrosity that the EMH would carry around with him on Star Trek Voyager. Like, what happened in World War Three that made humans, like, turn to carrying around, like, essentially the equivalent of packing boxes to take their pictures <laughs> that's an excellent question i don't know um maybe there was kind of like a vintage craze where suddenly it was like oh let's go mm. and um yeah. start using old-timey technology possibly that's why picard listens to so many vinyl records in uh season two of uh, star trek picard that would make sense to me yeah um no i like overall uh i I want to go back to Erica Hernandez, you know, like it seems like a character that if we had gone into season five, like how much they could have done with her. Same with Shran as well. And it was just kind of like, also Star Trek remains problematic where she was like, so how can we stop seeing each other, Jonathan? And he's like, well, I was your superior officer. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like awkward. And I think, didn't she say something like, well, you're not my superior anymore. And I was just like, yeah, buddy, come on. Like, high five. Like, let, let's, and then, I'm sorry, this made me laugh. Didn't he say something like, you're forgetting the climber's code? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was wondering, you know, like, when I started seeing the climbing scenes, I started thinking of Mission Impossible 2. You know, which uh, was a big deal. But then I was like, wait a second. Brendan Brega had a writing credit on Mission Impossible 2. Is this an homage True. to his work in Mission Impossible 2? No. <laughs> I can say quite definitively. No. Maybe Tom Cruise knows the climber's code. <laughs> I, I would not doubt that. I liked how her, Erica Hernandez was giving us the scoop on the like Oscar winners for that year where it was a world war three epic yeah i guess um I, it seems kind of depressing mm -hmm. i don't know because it's also 
I guess that was a hundred years earlier. So I do. You, do you notice how like now it's first world war movies that have become more in vogue? Yeah. In the last couple of years versus like second world war. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I guess yeah, if you're going back a century, which. Well, Okay, I guess like for Archer and Company at that time, it would have been eighty years. So I guess yeah, it kind of would have been Second World War era equivalent for us. But um, yeah, I don't want to say hey, good on her. I think the Third World War seems even more horrific than what happened um, in the first two World Wars, just based on what we saw in Encounter at Farpoint with Q. Oh yeah, I mean when you have like massive nuclear wars going on, yeah, it would seem like it was pretty severe. Uh, it's an element of Star Trek that like I'm kind of glad we've never had it really that explored. I kind of like how we just have characters refer to it. I don't want to explore it. No, like, that that like I like I'm just like leave it alone. Like it just it would be so depressing. It would be like Threads or something like that. Like one of those really depressing '80s <laughs> miniseries or TV shows <laughs> where it's just like characters in post-apocalyptic like areas that just look like a nightmare. Yeah, uh, I've never watched Threads myself, but for folks out there, you can go onto YouTube and it's uh, like all I've heard is it gave a lot of trauma to like people growing up in like the UK in like 1981. Yeah, and there was another one. I'm totally blanking on the name, but Nicholas Meyer actually directed it. It was a TV movie, but very similar thing. Like in the 80s, there was all of, I think maybe The Final Countdown, perhaps might have been the title. Um, but yeah, like these nuclear war. <laughs> these nuclear war kind of like, it didn't seem like there was a lot of like movie movies. They were all like TV movies, but they were very depressing. <laughs> Cam, I don't want you to think about this question too hard. Mm. Just go with your gut. Is Home a top 10 Enterprise episode? Yeah, I would say it is, yes. And I, I just think it's so overlooked. I agree with you. Like, And people watch Star Trek for different reasons. But for me, I've always been about like sitting with the characters, chilling with the characters, absorbing who they are, um, discovering more about what makes them tick. And everything from Archer, climbing rocks, fighting <laughs> Zindis, um, to trip into Paul, visiting Vulcan, and even just the little things about like going to a bar with a Genobulan doctor who has saved who knows how many people's lives. And I just like this episode just works for me on so many levels. Like to me, this is a quintessential Star Trek episode. Yeah. Um, it's one that like when you ask me like my favorite Enterprise episodes, I'm going to say the Mirror Universe two parter. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to say um, probably um, Twilight. Uh, Carbon Creek is going to pop to mind. The thing about Home is it's so low-key, which is what's so great and charming about it. But for that reason, I think that's why people don't have it on the tip of their tongue when you're naming out the great Enterprise stories. They're going to be more drawn in or at least remember stronger, flashier stuff like, you know, the uh, Andorian three-part arc, for example, just because you yeah. immediately think of Archer fighting Sharan with those blades and cutting off his antenna. <laughs> or you think of like the sexy augments in the augment arc. And I'm talking about Brent Spiner, of course. Um, Hell yeah. You know, you think about all these like big moments throughout the course of Enterprise. That's the stuff that sort of sticks in the memory. You don't think about these quieter stories, just Archer, you know, standing on a rock saying that he's lost something within himself. Like, those are the stories that stick with you when you re-watch them and are more moved by, but they don't have the iconography that really necessarily lingers in the mind the same way. One other moment that continues to linger in my mind is when Saval is talking to Archer and he's like, look, I, oppo uh, I opposed your appointment to Enterprise, mm. but I realize now I was wrong. Hearing that from Saval... That's pretty amazing. It really does set him on a path in season four that it, it's it's what a fantastic arc that that particular character had that in, in the first two seasons, I was like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is just terrible. But I really came around to him in season four. Well, I think like Enterprise at the time got a lot of flack for the way it was depicting its Vulcans um, to Paul in particular. But when I watched them, they just feel so much more three dimensional than what um, often DS9 did, you know, I think of like the Vulcans on the baseball team. And, and then I think of like some of the Vulcan <laughs> stuff in TNG where they would just kind of play them as very like stiff and stoic. Whereas I like when I watched the original series, like you can 
feel within Spock, those emotions like bubbling to the surface at times. And you see that into Paul. Her mother even acknowledges, you know, your emotions were always closer to the surface. And she is a younger Vulcan. And even with like a Soval, you can see that like he has a little more of that cold exterior you see in some of the other Berman era stuff. But there is that kind of like pride and like you can see kind of the emotions just underneath the surface. Uh, Kim, you're leading me to something... I kind of wanted to wrap up with here, though, but it's to Paul's mom saying to Trip, have you told to Paul? Yeah. He says, told her what? (laughs) That you're in love with her. Vulcans may not express emotions, but we're sensitive to them. I love just that last sentence right there. Yeah. Like Like we keep it right below the surface and it fits so well with what we know about Spock, for example. Mm. And I, it just it tells me that Manny Cotto, he gets Star Trek. Like, he really gets it at a fundamental episode. And this is why, you know, moving forward with season four of Enterprise, this is why this is a top five season of Star Trek for me right here. Yeah. No, I mean, it's very true. And that's the thing with, I always felt kind of robbed even though I came to the party late but like that Manny Cotto didn't get to have more of an opportunity to run with Star Trek because it was very clear he understood it in a way that I haven't seen many since where he could deliver those Manny Manny what did I say Manny oh I'm just trolling you yeah 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 but like (laughs) His ability to introduce all iconography that people are familiar with, uh, but it doesn't feel like just empty fan service. It feels like kind of like expanding on the universe of Star Trek in interesting ways, but also giving those intimate character stories and understanding how to just pace and work out a story is so effective. And I just, I really wish we'd gotten either more of him on Enterprise, like, you know, the season five where Shran would be a regular or like a different Star Trek show. I would have loved it. I mean, nothing's impossible, but I don't see him coming back into the fold at this point. And it's kind of a bummer, but I just wish we got that season five of Enterprise. I feel like if you are a Ronald D. Moore or a Brennan Braga, the idea of them coming back to star trek is more likely because of the fact that they are big names and they had long runs on the show whereas i feel like with a manny Cotto, it's like i mean how many really remember his one season of enterprise well there's you and there's me um there's lots of fans in vegas i know that yeah but it's but the thing is okay if we quizzed the average person walking around in a NX-01 jumpsuit, who is your favorite showrunner of, you know, Star Trek Enterprise? I I, I don't know if they they would even know the name Manny Cotto. Like, just most viewers don't necessarily pay attention to the end credits. No, that's very true. And we have been going to Star Trek cons for quite a long time, and I have yet to see Manny Cotto there. Isn't that just bizarre? It is, yes. Yeah. So I think we can both agree that Home is a must-watch. And people, if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out again. It's worth it. But I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And Tyler, what are we doing next week? It's always one of my favorite episodes every year, Cam. We're going to be tackling the current state of Star Trek um it's cam with regards to what's going on in the streaming world and the business models um everybody is dealing with nowadays uh i cannot wait to delve in to what's in store for star trek moving forward when it comes to the tv shows uh the the movie franchise um we've got upcoming you know strange new worlds seasons as well as lower decks prodigy we have so much to dive into and so we're doing this what maybe a month earlier than usual we typically do it in june but the problem is strange new worlds is going to premiere 
uh, season two is going to premiere very soon. So that's why we're diving into uh, the current state of Star Trek, um, maybe 11 months after you heard the last episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this every year. This is a lot of fun. And every year we get to debate what's going on with the movie franchise. <laughs> every year. Every year. Cam. And I think only one year we knew what was going on with the movie franchise. Yeah, 2015. <laughs> that was, I think, yeah. the last time. Okay, yeah. you can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Vulcans or Snazzy Dressers, Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in Neuropressure. Just go with it, folks. It's the Vulcan way. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Maybe Tom Cruise knows the climber's code. <laughs> <laughs>